This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Monday, February the 4th, the day after Super Bowl 53. It was a close game, but was it a good game? The Patriots win the Super Bowl yet again, but boy, that was a game lacking in excitement, big plays, offense, and overall watchability. In fact, some are even calling it the worst Super Bowl ever. Jamie and Stoney discuss a 97 won the ticket in Detroit. Let's listen in. When you have a Super Bowl where neither quarterback can even be considered for MVP, because you really couldn't have considered either quarterback. No. I mean, Brady, you'd have to make a pretty weak case for. And Brady's Goff quarterback rating was 74. When you can't make a case for either quarterback to be the MVP of the Super Bowl, that's a bad Super Bowl. That's as oh, bad as it gets. I, I don't think it was so a good you, one, but like I said, yes, there's no memorable plays, but still there's... There just was, because a game's close, it doesn't mean it's a good game. No, but I, if, if you are still captivated somehow, whether it's because it's close, boring, or whatever, at least it's, to me the job of, of the entertainment, which it is, is to keep you on, whether it's the edge of your seat, but to keep you you know, focused on the game. I mean, and I, you were, it was a close game. It was not exciting. I granted, you know that. You, that basically, you can't argue. If you had to watch a Super Bowl over again, if I gave you a DVD and said, "Go home and watch this," would you watch last night's game or you mentioned it, the the Bronco Seahawk game? You had to watch it all over again, knowing the result. So the whole we don't know who wins is out the window. You have to watch it over again because you know. ESPN, you know, classic right. uh, NFL network reshows great games in NFL history. I, I would watch last night because there was more, there, at least a little bit of a chess match element still happening within the game, which I like. Yeah. Versus the, I mean, if you know the outcome, you said know the outcome going in. Right. I mean, what would want, want you to watch a forty-three to eight game? Great defense. I mean, last night was Brilliant. one of the was one of the worst. I think yeah. the, the pinpoint it as the worst. Right. I mean, it, it was not it's good. apples and oranges. I mean, you, what we're going to go back to Super Bowl nine. I, I have the box score in front of me. It was two nothing at halftime. I, they mentioned that last <laughs> night on the broadcast. I had no memory of that. And, and then the Vikings only game. score was a block punt in the end zone. Yeah. I, I remember it was. But that's uh, a great play. Just I, over four hundred <laughs> yards of total offense last night. Had six sixty seven. I, I remember Super. Bowl was it twelve? I don't know. I mean the Cowboys. No, don't say what was it because I don't know. The Cow- Cowboys Broncos. I'm looking it up now. Twenty seven to ten. I remember. All I remember is it was so. B- Harvey Martin and Randy White were the co MVPs. Yeah, there was I think ten eight, eight turnovers. turnovers. Yeah, Denver had eight. Denver had eight turnovers. Yeah. That's I mean, what, but it was right. one of the worst. Okay. Cosmetically, it was right. awful. Yes, but so it's I, like, I, it's I, like, I guess what we're doing here is we're debating what are the worst Lions teams of all time. I mean, the zero and sixteen team or the uh, yeah. two and fourteen right. team. You know, you're right. It is apples and orange. I mean, it's actually apples and apples. They're all pretty bad. It's just a degree right. of, of what is bad. 
I, I and, guess, and if there's going to be a bad game, at least for me, I'd rather have a bad game that's competitive and close. Of and still, that That's why well, last that, night. Everybody agrees with that. Okay, so, well, that's why it wasn't the worst to me. But see, right? I think it was the worst partly because of the the letdown factor. And and I know you guys both took the – did you take the under as well? I know Gov yes. took the under. I, yes. I, thought, I really thought there was going to be a lot of offense because I thought you have the Rams' great offense going up against Brady who, you know – the last couple Super Bowls against Atlanta, against Philly. I mean, Brady set the all-time Super Bowl passing record last year, right. which kind of gets overshadowed by the fact that they lost the game and by Philly, Philly and all that. You know, I, I just figured that was the trend we were heading towards, or at least something in the 20s, not 3-0 no, at halftime. Well, we all thought it was going to be in the 20s, I, I think. See, I think that blowouts aren't necessarily the worst Super Bowl because just because it's competitive – just because it's a close game doesn't mean it's great football you're watching. A blowout like the 85 Bears, is that the worst Super Bowl, or are you watching a historically great team dominate a foe? The 49ers trounced the San Diego Chargers. Was that a bad Super Bowl, or were you watching one of the greats in Steve Young at his very peak and apex? A couple of years ago, the Seahawks drummed the Broncos and Peyton Manning. Was it a terrible Super Bowl, or were you watching one of the great defenses of the modern era shut down the most explosive offense in the league? I think those are actually much more interesting Super Bowls, at least historically speaking, than what we witnessed last night, which was just a three-and-a-half-hour slog of punts. Would we have had a better game had the Saints or the Chiefs been in it? On Fesco in the morning on 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City, they discussed that empty feeling after watching a Super Bowl that certainly didn't feel like it was the preeminent event of the two best teams of the league. I think right now, based on what we saw in that Super Bowl yesterday with that 13-3 final and what a snooze fest it really was, hey, it's time for Patrick Mahomes to save the NFL because the NFL needs saving after that Super Bowl because there's a lot of people that have the lasting impression now of the Super Bowl going into the offseason of, Boy, that was terrible. That was awful. Could you imagine what the impression would have been had the Chiefs and Saints been in that Super Bowl and it was a 45-44 type of game that was just back and forth? It was a track meet all afternoon. People would have gone into the offseason jazzed and ready for the start of next season. Now people are looking at it. They're going, all right, I can take a couple of months off. That was kind of a eh, bad last stack. Bad yeah, last stack for I, everybody. I mean, I, I know there's going to be plenty of people going, huh, you just don't appreciate good defensive football. Really? No. I do appreciate good defensive football. That wasn't not in a season that's about the offense. That, that's the problem. I wanted yeah. the exclamation point at the end and going yep. and, and and to firmly see up there like, wow, you gave us the best product in the final game. Right. It wasn't the it best. It wasn't product. the best. The product. best team won. Don't right. be wrong. Patriots deserve every bit of it. Um, but as far as just one one individual game. Mm. That wasn't that wasn't enjoyable at all. That was that was not representative of what the NFL was this year. The the 2018 version of the National Football League with all the rules changes that were in place made it so it would have been an offensive league. And yesterday in the biggest game of the year, in the biggest offensive season of the year with one of the best offenses out there versus one of the other pretty good offenses out there, we saw a 13 to 3 final and a defensive slugfest. Like I was telling you guys before the show, if that was a week 7 game, Sunday night football's football night in America wouldn't even have shown highlights 
of that game yesterday. They they would that would that would have made the and in other news the Rams fell to the Patriots thirteen to three in Foxborough and we all would have moved on with our lives. That would have, would have been good enough to garner a head, a, a highlight during the uh, during the regular season and and that was what the ultimate game was right there. That wasn't good defensive football yesterday. That oh yeah I appreciate defensive football. That was just boring. I mean, I think there was some good defense, but overall, I think that it was a lot of bad offense, too. Sure. Which is crazy, as you mentioned, in a year where offense was the paramount, like, all season long, and then we get to the most important game of the year, and you put up 16 points. Total. Ugh. Chris Jones also tweeting out last night, as far as people up, too, in addition to Pat Mahomes, we will win it next year. Good. He was he was right last year when he said we'll be in the AFC Championship game, right? He nailed that sucker last year, okay. so, hey, I'm Take going with Chris step. Jones. He had to send something out like that last night. I got a hard time believing Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense would have been held to a field goal at the half. I got a tough time believing Mahomes and that offense would have been held to a total of 13 points in that game. That was a brutal affair to watch, and I don't think it's because of great defenses solely. I think it was mediocre offenses as well. The one guy that had a big night offensively was Julian Edelman, 10 catches for over 140 yards. And after it, adding to his total of postseason success, people are wondering, should he be going to Canton one day? Here's the guys on 610 Sports in Houston on Mad Radio. Baseball talking heads would have been up in arms for four months over that. Well, even up until this day, because baseball has the rule, which I think is a pretty good rule, which is if you get suspended for PEDs within a season, you can't play in the postseason, like Robinson Cano this oh, past right. year. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys know how many wide receivers are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Do you want to guess? Very few. Like, and it's getting harder. It's hard. Do you, do you know how many? Uh, uh, seven. I think it's it, 11. It's not 7. It's 17. It's 17. 32. It's 17. Okay. But think about how many great receivers we've seen. There are 17 guys in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And just to give you a sense of Edelman's overall career accomplishments, and I and I have no issue with Edelman as a postseason player. He's been great, and I thought he deserved to win the MVP last night of the game. Edelman is 148th in career receptions, and he is 248th in career receiving yards. Julian Edelman has two 1,000-yard seasons ever in his career two two hall of famer i know but he's been so good in the playoffs and in super bowls but that that's the problem is that the pendulum swings both ways i think there is the one part where you say look super bowl success matters you know like Trell davis and tony baselli had pretty similar careers in terms of how many times they were all pro in terms of how many times they were dominant in their prime and also in terms of having short careers the problem is that Trell davis won two super bowls and it's called the hall of fame famousness so those super bowls matter it shouldn't necessarily because like whether you win a super bowl or not in a huge team sport doesn't really say much about you as your playing ability other than quarterbacks um but it matters so this i'd say likewise with julian edelman though it goes too far if basically because of the team he played on this would be like robert Ory getting into the basketball hall of fame right right yeah for having incredible big postseason moments but even yeah. more so than robert Ory, it's specifically because of the guy throwing him the football yes and like yeah and i want to give credit to edelman he's done an incredible job he has of all the slot receivers who have been lucky enough to play in new england he's got the best postseason stats but wait how many touchdowns total you know 30 in the postseason? Oh, no, in the postseason, in the postseason I got Because this is an important thing to remember. Wes Welker has five postseason touchdowns. I don't think Edelman's that much further beyond him. He's got five. 
So, like, okay, Wes Walker's got five postseason touchdowns. Julian Edelman's got five postseason touchdowns. I guess Edelman's got more Super Bowls. Second in yards. Yeah. Second in yards, 1345. He's creeping up on Jerry Rice with 2245. I will say this to bring it back to the game last night and then also to look at it as as to how it affects the Texans. Um, the thing about Edelman is so incredible. Like, it's not, for me, it's not the run after the catch and how he's willing to just drive through people and all that. It's how violent he is at the beginning of his like at the line of scrimmage. How it just incredibly violent his action is to get open and how damn scrappy he gets in those moments. It's just it's a teaching tape for young slot receivers or receivers in general. Like how hard will you work to get open? Because like he's plenty fast and explosive and everything, but he takes it that like extra little bit of oomph to to create that separation. It's really impressive. He he does everything violently and and you're right Seth it's not just what he does the thing I think most people notice is that when he catches the football he is going to put his shoulder down into somebody and try to drive them back a couple of yards and he's usually able to do things like that and we saw it in the earlier rounds of the playoffs where he was shouldering guys getting an extra couple of yards I think it was against the Chargers early on in the game where he had a big play like that he's able to do things like that uh if if I'm going to make a devil's advocate argument for someone like Julian Edelman because I'm not going to close the door on anyone making this argument for Edelman to the Hall of Fame, but it's also with the understanding that Edelman's going to have more opportunities to perhaps get closer to Jerry Rice in terms of the actual yardage side of things. Isn't the hypocrisy around PED use amazing? I mean, in baseball, the greatest power hitter ever in Barry Bonds and one of the greatest pitchers ever in Roger Clemens are a pariah forever, and they never tested positive for steroids. Here's Edelman, who tested positive this year. For PEDs and was suspended for the first month. And he, he's got your Super Bowl MVP awards and people dragging themselves to put him into Canton. It's a totally different sphere of two different sports where in one, we really care. And in the other, we really don't. A lot of blame to go around for the Los Angeles Rams. Sean McVay took most of it for his play calling. Jared Goff taking the brunt of it as well, but... How about Brandon Cooks? With a couple of opportunities to score touchdowns in this game, what a difference that would have made. Here's Joe Beningo and Evan Roberts on WFAN in New York. The L.A. Rams lost this Super Bowl simply because they couldn't score enough points. And here's the other thing. I don't think this is getting enough attention. I don't mean to pick on one individual, but I'm going to. Brandon Cooks dropped not a yep. one, yep. but two yep. touchdowns yep. in this game. Yep. You, we can give Jason McCourty all the credit in the world. He made a hell of a play. Uh, Cooks has to make that play. Yeah. And there was no, another no, one later know. in the game that went oh, off his that, hands. Well, that was the one right before the Gilmore interception. Yeah. And he should that one, he definitely, that I mean, that ball worse. hit him in the hands. That was worse. Uh, you got to catch that ball. I know there were two guys there, but you got to catch the football. And then the next play is the terrible throw by Goff that Gilmore picks off. And that was really the game at that and, point. Yeah, and that was created by pressure. Yep. Goff didn't yep. have time. Nope. But nope. Gilmore, uh, not Gilmore, I'm sorry, Cooks had two opportunities. He did. He did. He did. To catch a touchdown. He did. In this game. And it was just a ridiculous effort by this Patriot defense. I think you nailed why the MVP was Julian Edelman. Not only because he has the stats obvious on offense, but there wasn't one guy. It was such a group effort on this Patriot defense. You can make an argument for Van Noy. You can make an argument for for guys who may be the best cornerback in the NFL. may be graded out that way on, what is it, pro football focus? Pro football focus, yeah. Right, right. So I I think that's the the biggest issue with why the MVP turned out to be Edelman. Look, Edelman had great numbers. he did. And Gronkowski had a terrific game, too. Yeah, he made a big catch when he needed to. Right, a couple. He started that drive with that catch down on the sideline, that little floater that uh, Brady threw to him and then made the big play to the two-yard line. And I think what makes it even more impressive is that Patrick Chung 
misses out the, basically the entire second, second half, half yeah. with that arm injury. And he is certainly a key guy on defense, one of the leaders on defense. And like it always is with the Patriots, it's next man up. It is. And it's sickening. And I'm jealous. But the reality is the reality. All hail the king of coaches, Bill Belichick. Oh, God. This was a marvelous, marvelous performance by the greatest head coach in the history of the sport. Yeah, I, I, you, you said it. And what else can I say? You nailed it. And and uh, the greatest quarterback, if we're going to call him that, he certainly, uh, <laughs> if he's not, I don't know who is. Uh, and, and obviously the Patriot defense in just a mastermind job by Belichick where Jared Goff had a brutal game and they really couldn't run the, run the ball, whatever happened to Todd Gurley. I mean, I, I love the fact uh, that this was a, uh, you know, the defense was dominant for both teams. I mean, to take away who you're rooting for, and obviously we're both not rooting for the New England Patriots, obviously, it was something to behold. And I think when you put together Bill Belichick's Hall of Fame resume, you're going to think about three specific games where he drew up an incredible defensive performance. The one with the Giants against yep. the Buffalo yep. Bills in the yep. Super Bowl. Yep. The one against the St. Louis Rams in the first yep. Super Bowl. Yep. And then what he did last night. And Joe and Ways, this may have been the most Could impressive. Be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, gave up not, they gave up three freaking points nothing. to the number two offense in an offensive era. Yeah. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. It was what they did yesterday was unbelievable, and I, I and I know Edelman. Look, he, he had a great game and probably deserved the MVP. But you know, and I, and I don't know who you would give it to on defense. But to me, the, the defense won this football game for him. I mean, let's be honest about it. They and there was so many guys. I mean, Jason McCourty, who I thought made the play of the game, knocking the ball away from Brandon Cooks yep. when he was wide open in the end zone. High Tower, who got a big sack on that same series. Uh, you know, to well, they you know, Zerline's range is unlimited. <laughs> he made a 53 yarder there anyway. But so many different guys, Van Noy, you go right on down the line with you know the guys on this defense for the Patriots that played phenomenal, uh, played a phenomenal game. So uh, you're right, Belichick's defensive game plan was great, and so was Wade Phillips's defensive yeah. game plan. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. It's true, Cooks had two golden opportunities to score touchdowns. But, I mean, let's look at both of those passes. For Jared Goff of the first one, he totally spots Cooks way too late. In fact, said he was surprised he was so open. Well, maybe you shouldn't be so surprised. Maybe you should have your head in a swivel to make sure your eyes lock in on a target that is wide open to the end zone and then get it to him faster than that or throw it away from the defense. And on the second one, he's got two defensive backs for the Patriots draped all over him. It would have been an amazing catch, I suppose, with an amazing grab. He could have brought it in, but I don't know if that's necessarily on Brandon Cooks. Either way, nobody in that Rams offense did their job to the best of their ability, and that's why they ended up with only three points on the night. The next biggest story today in football is Carson Wentz, and there was that story a couple weeks ago out of the Philly Voice that cited anonymous players and people within the organization of the Eagles saying that Wentz was a tough guy to handle last year after he came back from the ACL tear, that he was bossing people around, he was stubborn in what plays he would run, and that he was egotistical. Now, all of his teammates took up for him on Twitter and on social media, except we hadn't heard from Carson Wentz. 
Wentz finally sat down with reporters and the news breaks that he took responsibility on himself and said he could have been better. Wentz admitted, quote, I know I have flaws. I know I'm not perfect. I'm not going to say that it was inaccurate. I'm not going to say it was completely made up. I just wish if there were guys that felt like that, they could have come and talked to me. Wentz went even on to say that, yes, I can be selfish. I think we all have selfishness inside of us. I realize I have my shortcomings. I'm looking to be better in all of that. So this is pretty much the yang to the yin of the bombshell originally. Everyone thought that that was just tabloid journalism, and here is Wentz admitting that he's got his flaws. Zach Bourbon's covered Carson Wentz of the Philadelphia Eagles for a long time. He joined Angelo Cataldi in the morning show on WIP in Philly. The fact that he reached out says to me there was a message he wanted to send out about where he was right now in his career with the Eagles. What do you think his basic message was in this session? Sure. So uh, I actually found him to be uh, very honest, revealing, more vulnerable than I anticipated, which you can say is a, is a credit to him there. I, I think his, his message was this has been a really difficult year for him, not just physically, but emotionally. And, and that affected him in – in ways that he probably couldn't have imagined. It, it affected him as a teammate. It affected him as a person. And, and I think uh, his, I think that, that message was moving forward, there's things you can learn from this past year, uh, but that he's not perfect, that, 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 that there are things that he can improve on, both on the field in terms, and in terms of the way he carries himself in the locker room. Zach, he acknowledges that at times he has been selfish, but I don't get a sense for exactly what that referred to. Do you have any feeling of, he makes a general statement, I, I, I have flaws, I'm not perfect, I have been selfish. What do you think he's referring to with all that? I think he, he's referring to uh, how he kind of allocated his time and, and, and his approach. He was really... Honestly, you know, I guess you can use the word driven to to recover from the injury. And, and during last offseason especially, his his focus was on getting healthy. And, and, and there might have been things that he overlooked as a teammate um, just because of his focus on his health. So that's really how I interpreted it. And then he was he was uh, he was focused on a, a general sense there, too, that that he's that he's not perfect. Uh, that was really a, a message that. He delivered a few times there, and uh, and I can understand that. But in, in terms of specifics, I I believe it, it was the fact that he was coming back from the injury, and he was really selfish in terms of his time and his approach. All right, now the, one of the more dramatic revelations of the Philly Voice story was that in a way, Wentz re- you know, resented Foles' success, and the way that manifested itself is he didn't want to run Nick Foles' plays. Uh, what did he say about his relationship with Foles and how he regarded Foles as he rescued another season? Sure. Well, I, I guess the second part of that question, um, he he denied ever not running Nick Foles' plays. And he said that I, I asked him specifically just to get a response on that. He said there was never a time when a play was called X and he didn't run it. Um, so, so he denied that. Uh, he was very um, – Honest, I guess you can say about uh, the Nick Foles situation, in, in that he he complimented Nick, praised Nick, said that they're close, 
Um, also acknowledge that, that they have different personalities, that they're different players on the field, and that he, he can't let kind of this Nick Foles shadow affect him or cause him stress. And, and for full disclosure, I asked him at, at one point, I, I said, you know, no matter what happens with, with Nick, this isn't going away, the comparisons to Foles. Mm. And that seems to be the subtext for everything that is kind of discussed with Carson. And 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 Carson made a point to say how they are different. And, and if, if you spend any time around both of them, um, that's very obvious. It just goes to show you, everyone is so quick to jump on journalism, trash the media, trash anonymous sources. This is not right. This is fake news. This is false. And yet when it comes down to it, Carson Wentz admits that it was right. Maybe we should all take a step back and realize that there are some journalists out there that do a really good job, use anonymous sources, and actually bring us the story that nobody else is willing to tell us because they're scared of upsetting their reputation or other people's inside their locker room. Finally, now that Super Bowl week is over, we turn ahead to post the NFL. How did Atlanta fare? The guys on 92.9, the game in the ATL, looked back and graded out their city's first Super Bowl week in nearly 20 years. Well, the the city of Atlanta is, again, it'll be interesting to see what kind of reaction the, you know, the nation gives Atlanta. I haven't had a chance to see what kind of reaction Yet, uh, I'll, I'll kind of dig through some of the websites and see. Because the first reaction, obviously, is going to be about the game itself. And now we'll see what kind of reaction the city of Atlanta gets. Because there's reactions to everything. You know, the reactions to the commercials. There's reaction to the halftime show, which, for the most part, is not good uh, on Twitter. And now we'll see maybe uh, the reaction to the city of Atlanta as a host at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which I would hope would be what we think it is. But, again, maybe I'm wearing those clouded glasses uh, for the know, most part know. the people that I've, I've interacted with on the Twitter they've they've enjoyed it like a few people ran into a little bit of traffic but that's to be expected I don't think it was as as bad as it could have been I, I think that everything was spread out enough so that uh, it, it wasn't the case the places that I went when I went out I ran into the most traffic that I ran into because I really didn't get off on the streets I had where I got off at was like uh in the downtown area, I got off by what Magic City a couple times to get over that way. It was pretty easy moving around that way. I, I think that when you got off on like 10th Street, 14th, and stuff like that, it was a little bit tighter. But even that wasn't that bad. Going through downtown, it was a it was initial slowdown, but nothing where it was bumper to bumper, nothing like that. There was a, it was a little foolishness on the highway. You know, there's a couple accidents that I that I was witness to, but for the most part, yeah, we call that not today. Bad. You know, what I mean, right? And so, and then you know, back to '96, this is what happened. If you weren't here for the Super uh, for the for the Olympics, there were such dire warnings about how bad it was going to be in downtown Atlanta that everybody stayed away. And as it turned out, during the Olympics, man, it was like <laughs> zip 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 because nobody was on the roads because everybody was so afraid to come downtown. Now it was a few. It was a few. Uh, Few things that was a little bit, little bit tough to get around, like the free concerts on Saturday. Uh-huh. Uh, there were a few people that tweeted out that it was, a, it was crowded down there, which is to be expected. Sure, of course, it's a free concert, but that's if you wanted to deal with that. Didn't get a chance to go over there by the stadium. I was going to go to a uh, Sweet Lounge Saturday night. Didn't get a chance to make it over there, but I heard it was pretty packed over there. I think Fifty Cent was throwing a party or something like that. So it was, uh, it was pretty packed over that way. But for the most part, uh. 
it was your night was what you made of it and where you decided to go and, and, and how much you could tolerate being in traffic or not. But everything else was pretty cool. For, for, from my perspective, it was pretty cool. I know for myself, I loved it. I thought the city did a great job. I thought that all week long there was a Southern hospitality that just exuded from everybody that we talked to. I thought in terms of everything being consolidated downtown, that was great. Traffic might be bad, but you know what? Traffic is always bad in Super Bowl cities. You can't hold that against Atlanta. I thought they did a tremendous job, but that stadium is so gorgeous. They will absolutely be in the rotation regularly to host that game again, and they deserve it. That's the best of your sports talk for Monday, February the 4th. We now turn our attention post the NFL. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 